So hey everybody, um, this is Kalile, and this is like my new podcast that I'm trying to start out, and I hope you guys like enjoy this journey. It's called The Intersection. I'm really excited to like start my first episode of this podcast. Welcome back, guys, to The Intersection. This is a podcast where we talk about identity, and we talk about what makes you, you, and we talk about, like, all the important stuff, right? Like, all the things that allow for you to kind of be the individual that you are, and you get to, like, discover, you get to discover a little bit about me, and you get to learn a little bit about me, and and maybe I'll even get to learn a little bit about myself at the same time while we're, like, doing this whole shebang, and we're learning about, like, all of these things, right? So, I guess what we need to know is, like, what's intersectionality, right? And what, like, Wikipedia talks and says that intersectionality is... Is, is that it says that intersectionality considers that various forms of social stratification, um, such as race, gender, class, sexual orientation, and etc., do not exist separately, separately from each other, but rather are things that exist like in tandem with each other, the things that are woven together, the things that the things that essentially always make up one whole so one part of you becomes a small part of the significant part that makes up you so you're not just your race you're not just your gender you're not just your class you're not just your nationality you're like everything and all of those things essentially culminate in making who you are at the end of the day and I think that's a really cool idea. And like, I think that's a really cool idea and it's a really cool thing that we get to talk about on this podcast. Why do I think intersectionality is important? I think intersectionality is important because it allows you to drive conversations in a way that is productive. It allows you to drive conversations in a way that gives unique perspective. Why do you need to know about my intersectionality? Why do you even care about my intersectionality? I think that those things kind of like matter and don't matter. I think you don't need to know about my intersectionality to think I'm a valuable person and that I have something to contribute. As well as like I have some kind of valuable input that and I have something that can essentially give some kind of like emphasis in your life that can give you some kind of new perspective or learn about a new way to think about things. I think that learning about intersectionality though does actually give you a little bit more so you don't need to know about it but learning about it and knowing about it gives you a little bit of a unique perspective into who a person is. Being able to understand the intersections and where each individual part of a person where that comes from, how that drives them, and how each of the driving factors about who that person is are able to kind of motivate them to be a specific thing. How like race and gender can move you in a specific way, no way like and how they move you in a way that's very different from how like your class or your nationality t- can move you, and how like two things that work together might essentially conflict or might not essentially work as efficiently or effectively as possible. Like knowing about those things and using those things and le- and being able to like apply those things in like conversation or being able to understand those things when people tell you about them. I think that's like a very important skill and a thing that should always be valued and a thing that should always be added.
So what do I want to do in this podcast, right? What I want to do is I want to uncover, I want to learn about individual, like, identity markers and individual identity, like, 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 things. Because I think that those things are important, right? I want to know how they affect our lives. I want to know how they affect my life. I want to know how those things essentially affect little small things from, like, money to relationships to, like, family to, like, any kind of, like, like huge issue that we find important and how, like, those big issues and those huge issues are, like, essentially dictated by our perspective and dictated by who I am or dictated by what I do and how, like, who I am and, like, all of the small little things that make up who I am are able to then dictate actions and able to dictate how I learn and how I perceive and how I, like, think about stuff. And I think that's just, like, really, really cool, right? And it works in a really interesting way that allows for, like, us to, like, be able to give some kind of, like, really, really, really cool, like, perspective shout out to the woman who like coined the phrase intersectionality right like i think she's the dopest human being and without her this podcast probably wouldn't exist and that's uh, kimberley crenshaw right really dope human being black feminist fucks with black feminism let's chat about that later and we'll talk about it when we get to that but i think what can give a little bit of context as to like who i am or why like I think I have something valuable to add to the conversation around intersectionality or to the intersection specifically talking is I think we should learn about what are my identity markers and why are those identity markers important or what do they mean to me? Because I think like knowing what they mean to me is probably more valuable than learning what they are or why they are the way that they are, right? So me specifically speaking, when I talk about who I am, I'm always I always identify as a cisgender man, right? So I think that's very strange and like very interesting because at the same time, even though I identify as a cisgender man, I still think that I'm a very feminine person. I think my mannerisms and the way I act, the way I talk, the way that my voice is very low or my voice is very high or my voice doesn't like carry the same kind of baritone and the same kind of bass that the regular people who you think of when you think of a man like perform. I think that that's very interesting and it allows for a really cool nuanced conversation about what it means to be a cisgender man and what it means to be a part of like the people who consider to have privilege and how like that privilege doesn't manifest in the way that you actually think it does and how that privilege is actually very like able to change and manifest and like move and mold and like and be malleable like the malleability of like what it means for gender is like really dope and it allows for like really cool like understandings and interpretations and i think that just like my representation and how i perform in a very feminine manner in my gestures even though i have a very masculine dress style is really dope when it comes to my race i can i'm a black i'm a black i'm a black kid like i'm black like it's, it's nothing more than that i'm black but I don't think, like, that's really the most important part of, like, the whole conversation around black, right? Like, when we talk about black, we talk about struggle, we talk about oppression, but we also should talk about, like, really cool things that come about, like, togetherness and, like, understanding and compassion and, like, being able to, like, fight for other people and how black people have to, like, deal with so much struggle and they have to still, but they're still also, like, some of the happiest and enjoyed people. 
like a lot of my black friends are some of the happiest people and those are some of the most caring and compassionate people not saying that other people can't be compassionate but i feel like there's a very unique compassion and a very unique care and detail that comes from being able to like live the black experience but i think what's what people often confuse race for is culture and like that's very in, and that's like very important because like this is a very fine distinction. So in other parts of the world, they might be the exact same thing. But as a South African, I'm Tosa, and being from South Africa, culture is a very distinct thing from race, right? We have eleven official languages, and in all of those eleven official languages, there are specific cultures that orient themselves around those languages. So I'm Kosa, which means I speak Kosa, which means I live a Kosa lifestyle. What that means is that my lifestyle and the kind of like lived environment that I grew up in, so my family circumstances are very conservative, right? So those are things that are like founded on like religious basis and cultural expression, where we have to live a certain way, where my dad is essentially the fundamental breadwinner in the house and he's the person who has to take control of the family structure, whereas my mom takes more of like the nurturing side of the family, where my mom is the person who is going to be out there like looking after the children who's going to be the one who does the laundry who's going to be the one who washes the dishes and me as like a progressive like i guess as like a progressive on a person who essentially doesn't conform to like traditional gender roles or conform to traditional conservative ideas like kind of clashes with those things right i kind of don't think that it should be like that all the time especially if people don't want to assume those roles and i feel like specifically within culture a lot of those things are just assumed that you want them a lot of those things are just assumed that it should be like that right so when people think of black they often think progressive and i guess when it comes to like america and the western world it's like things like democrats and people are trying to change things radically but when i think of black and when i think of like just blackness in general I think I'm very conservative. I think I'm very like sheltered. I think I'm very like trying to cling on to ideas that have been lost in the past that they're trying to keep and maintain the same so that they are able to maintain that identity of culture. So that culture becomes unique and that culture can stay unique, right? I think that's very interesting when we talk about the interactions that come from your intersectional identities, right? When we talk about your identity markers and how those things clash. Now into like a more fun thing where we talk about my sexual orientation, right? So my sexual orientation isn't like your simple straight or gay or bisexual, right? It's kind of one of the more outlying um, sexual identities or sexual orientations where I consider myself to be heteroflexible, right? So you're probably thinking, uh, what does heteroflexible mean, right? And heteroflexible is like, I consider myself like physically attracted to guys and I consider myself physically attracted to women and I find myself able to have physical relations with guys and I find myself able to have physical relations with physical relationships with women right and I think that's really cool and I'm also able to have like physical relationships with non-binary people and or people who are just like gender non-conforming and I find that like really strange I mean I find it really cool not strange but what becomes very strange and becomes very apparent when I have conversations around sexuality is that when it comes to like my romantic identity and like and that's like what I think of having like a romantic relationship is that I find it very hard to have 
relation like romantic relationships with guys i find it very hard to like find that intimate connection on a deeper level outside of just like the physical intimacy outside of the physical attraction i find it like very easy to have that kind of connection with women so what this means is it doesn't mean i'm not willing to maybe change or this could just be all of my like closeted homophobia or my internalized homophobia that's talking and i just can't necessarily find the links between myself hooking up with a guy and myself having a romantic relationship with a guy being one and the same that could be but i also do think sexuality is fluent sexuality is malleable <clears throat> and sexuality changes so i could be bisexual tomorrow i could be pansexual tomorrow but the moment i kind of find myself in a in a position don't find myself directly attracted to both men and women when it comes to having an intimate romantic relationship i find it specifically primarily for women right and that's my sexuality and i think like that's a very wonderful way that like it enables to manifest and it's kind of different from what you kind of think it is right so you're probably thinking that oh no this guy is gay but like that's cool you can think that but i'm not gay right i'm also not bisexual i might be somewhere within the spectrum between gay and bisexual but i'm not specifically at the point where those two things are right and i find that like really cool I guess this might also have to do with the fact that I'm 23 and I'm a millennial and we don't like specific labels. We like to be different or we like to always be changing and chopping and like moving around. Or specifically that we like to be different. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But like being a millennial allows me to actually have like cool perspective and like learn about things that my parents have already learned. But also then add on those things. And I think like age is a really cool identity marker because it allows for you to like point out the time where you're at and where you learned and how you learned about those things and like get to learn about why you used to think a specific way and why you get to like think a new way now. Now it comes to like one of the more like contentious things is like religion, right? Is that one, I'm an atheist and I think being an atheist is dope, right? I think being an atheist is cool, but I also think being a theist is cool. I personally wish I could be a theist, but I just can't. I can't imagine myself believing in a God, mainly because I don't think that I have evidence for a God to exist. But even more than that, I just don't like the idea of a God. I think people who believe in God and people who believe in like a greater being are people who actually have a lot of bravery and a lot of trust in that kind of like thing, right? But I personally don't buy into that kind of stuff. But this becomes very complicated when I talk about my family, right? Because when it comes to talking about my family is that my family is Catholic. My family is very conservative Roman Catholic. Right. So they buy into these whole ideas of like abortion or like not having abortion of like once you're in a marriage, you stay in a marriage. And a lot of those kind of ideas of like specifically being like really, really religiously conservative. Right. So you're probably thinking that, oh, no, that's culture. So I think that, yes, there is a cultural aspect to religion, but I think that it's more of a spiritual connection or a spiritual aspect towards my family that like deals with that. Right? And it's very strange because at the same time we practice some cultural aspects of Christi of of Catholicism, mainly like Christi Christian like things like we do Christmas, we do Easter, we like essentially go to church and all of those things. I don't really think going to church is important. I don't go to church. I don't think that you need to do a lot of the cultural things to be religious. I think you can do enough and like just do the spiritual stuff. 
But then again, what am I to say and how am I to judge? Because I don't really believe in a god, so like I don't really worship him anyway. Next is like my mental health status. And like when it comes to my mental health status, it's like very interesting because like I have depression and I have anxiety. But at the same time I'm kind of an ambivert. And if you don't know what an ambivert is, an ambivert is a person who is introverted, but I mean, well, displays characteristics that are introverted, as well as displays characteristics that are extroverted. So this means that sometimes you're really introverted and you really like staying at home and staying at home is like thing that you just want to do at the time, but other times you really need to just be around people, right? And you can gain your energy on different days from people or from being alone, or you find specific kinds of enjoyment from being with lots of people or from being alone. And this becomes very awkward when we talk about my mental health and we talk about depression and anxiety is because when I'm depressed and when I'm fundamentally depressed is that I really want to be around people. But my body tells me that I must stay home and that I must be in bed and that that's what I need to feel better. And then other times I'll get depressed around people and I'll be around people and I'll just have to feel like that's the only way I'll get better. But being at home might actually be the best thing and the easiest thing for me. Just sitting down and watching Netflix and sitting down and watching a series could essentially just be the best solution to the depression or the way that I'm feeling. And it becomes very hard coupled with my anxiety and how I interact and how I feel really good around people and how I feel really bad around people. And like, those are cool intersections around like mental illness and like how each individual mental illness like has an intersection with each other as well as with just my identity and how those things manifest, right? The last thing, I guess, when it, the last main prominent thing when it comes to intersectionality is like class status, right? And class status is like really interesting because you can be a part of a class one day and you can not be a part of that same class the next day. I guess at the like at the moment we live in a place where the market is changing constantly. So today you could be well off and tomorrow you could be broke F, right? And I find that like really interesting. But when it comes to just like this like the stagnant level of like my class status, I'm very middle class, right? My family can afford to get things that we want to get. I can afford to get things that I want to get. If I want to go out and get drunk and get fucked up, like, it's dope. I can do it. I can live my best life. But sometimes, like, you know, it's not as easy. But oftentimes, I find it very... I don't find it difficult to be able to actually, like, eat or, like, do all of those things. But I'm also not, like, extremely wealthy, right? Like, my family might go through hard times, but often, even if you're going through hard times, it's not a situation where we're, like, wondering, where is our next meal coming from? What are we going to eat today? What are we going to eat tomorrow, right? Like, we'll always know what's going to happen. We always know that we have a way out, and we always know we can do those things. And I find that like really, really, I find a lot of like comfort and I find, I find a lot of comfort within that because I think just knowing 
where you stand all the time is just a really nice thing. And I think like that's a lot of privilege I have as well that comes from being middle class, right? I think that's something that's separate from being black. I think that's exclusive to just being middle class is that I always know that I always can live my life the way I want, right? I get the luxury of making podcasts. I get the luxury of just talking and talking about things that I like, right? I like to do things like debating and like those things cost a lot of money. I like to enjoy things like esports and those things essentially cost a lot of money. Cost a lot of money to own a computer. Like a lot of money. And it costs a lot of money to own a good computer. And like those are things that I enjoy and those are things that I like doing. And I find a lot of value in being able to express myself like that. And that comes from a lot of my class privilege. But then like why am I telling you about individual identity markers and not talking about the intersections that like are involved with each like thing, right? I think some of the important like intersections that exist specifically in my life at the moment are like the difference between my race and my culture. I think being able to talk about how like my race is one thing and how my culture is one thing is very important, right? So when I during family events have to do cultural practices and I might not agree with those cultural practices. I often get called out and I'm told that I'm betrayed, that I'm not black enough or I'm trying to be white or I'm not trying to be black, right? And then I'm going against those things. And I find that very strange because like a lot of people can change cultures, right? If I get married to someone who isn't Kosa and I get married maybe to someone who's white or I get married to someone who's like, who's like Tswana or Spedi or Zulu, right? Which are other cultures in South Africa. I can adopt that culture and I'll be a part of that culture, but I'll still be considered black, right? People all across South Africa, people all across the world essentially can just monopolize one culture and but they're still considered black right and they're considered black over there and they're considered black over here right black identity is specifically something that ties us together through the kinds of struggles and oppression and like situations that we find ourselves in mainly because of our skin color and our melanin right i find that like specifically what blackness is and specifically what it means to be black but you often find it that culture becomes a very important thing and that there is there's an association that culture is blackness and that being black is a part of culture and being up and having that culture is a part of being black. And if you don't do things that are a part of that culture, you're selling out your blackness, you're selling out who you are, you're selling out essentially the fundamental thing that makes your skin black, that you should actually just bleach it and essentially just walk on and like pull a Michael Jackson. Not saying Michael Jackson, like, you know, chose to be white. There's a whole medical disease that actually made him white, right? But I'm talking about a situation where people think that Michael Jackson chose to be white. But he didn't, right? Because they thought that he wanted to be a part of that culture. And they completely ignore the fact that he had vitiligo. And how, like, vitiligo was a thing that specifically, like, made him have to change it like that specifically changed his skin color because of like because of like medical reasons whereas we associate that he chose it because of cultural influence that he thought that whiteness was good and that whiteness was important and i find that really strange and we have to talk about how the intersections between race and culture are some things that essentially the line is very hard to find but there is a line and how that line is something that should be dictated and how that line should be something that is discussed
I guess like another intersection would be my gender and my sexuality, right? Is that it becomes very hard for me to claim that I'm heteroflexible, mainly because I am a man, right? And mainly because I'm part of a group that usually perpetuates very toxic ideas of homophobia and very toxic ideas around not being able to be queer enough or, no, or just ideas that hate queer people. So I find it very hard that sometimes like I, I consider myself to not be straight, but to consider myself somewhat heterosexual, right? It's very hard because at the same time, it feels like I'm betraying the queer community and it feels like I'm directly betraying the queer community because by being a guy, a lot of the time, there's been acts of violence from my group towards people who are queer, whether they're women or whether they're men. And that becomes a very conflicting thing within that, in, like, within the, that intersection because I find it hard to get to a point where I feel comfortable within my sexuality, right? But what's really cool and what's really interesting about my sexuality is that I'm able to actually find some kind of solace with label intersectionality, right? So I don't think that that's, so I think that that's something that might change, but I also am comfortable if it doesn't change. So tomorrow I could be bisexual, tomorrow I could be gay, tomorrow I could be exclusively heterosexual, right? I think that all of those are fine, and I think that that's fine because that's how sexuality works, right? It's fluid, it changes one day, and it changes the next day. And I want it to be like that. I personally love the fact that it's like that because it allows people to live their truth and live the way that they want to. But for me at the moment, heteroflexibility is very important because it allows for me to live a lifestyle that I'm comfortable with while exploring my sexuality and not co-opting a sexuality that I personally don't identify as, right? Not co-opt a sexuality that I find, like, very intrusive, right? So claiming that I'm gay, but not feeling that I'm gay, right? So pretending like I'm just experimenting and essentially then, like, betraying the queer community if I change back to being, like, straight. And not saying that, like, the default is being straight, but if I change to being straight, and I like that, and I think that's important, and I think that's, like, fine. And I think a lot more people should be comfortable with that, right? Like, people have told me that there's no way heterosexuality can be a part of my queerness. And I understand where that's coming from, where the heterosexual community has actually done, like, a lot of violent things towards a lot of queer people. But... I don't think that that's something that I need to specifically be held accountable for, right? I also don't think that that's something that should necessarily change my idea of queerness and my expression of queerness, right? I think that that's something that should specifically deal with allowing me to be able to be myself and to be comfortable with myself and to be able to explore myself in the way that's the best for me. And that's a way that's not harming anyone else and doesn't harm anyone, like that doesn't harm anyone else and that doesn't harm me. Because I don't want to be forced or pressured or coerced into a situation that feels very bad or very violent or very negative towards me. And I think that's like, and I think that I should be allowed that. And I think like the labels and a label like heteroflexibility affords me the luxury of being able to engage with that. But then again, I guess that might be middle-class privilege, right? Because a lot of people don't get the luxury of dealing with labels like that, right? Where they get to be heteroflexible, 
where it's either you're straight or you're gay. And if you're not, then then you essentially have you live in the place where you're being discriminated by both sides. Or if you're like of one side and you're experimenting, you're being very vicious and you're or you're being very disingenuous to another side, right? That's very hard to deal with. And that's the thing I want to talk about more on this podcast. And these are things I want to talk about more on this podcast. The last intersection I'm going to talk about is like my race and my class, right? So I think there's a very important relationship between race and class where you can suffer racial stigma and you can suffer racial oppression and that's specifically racial oppression, right? Or you can suffer from or you can engage in racial like racialized or racial tensious situations. I think that's something that's exclusive to race. But what I do think is that class does make it easier a lot of the time. Is that if you part of a specific class and specifically where I'm from, if I'm part of a class, I do have if I'm part of the middle class and I'm part of the upper class or I'm part of the black elite you have more luxury and you have more time to be able to be openly queer, to like be openly transgender, to like have things that are considered outside of the norm as being a part of your identity because having money and having the ability to go and see psychologists or to be able to like live in an apartment or live far away from your parents where they don't have to deal with your sexuality or they don't have to deal with your gender issues or they don't have to deal with what they think are gender problems, right? I think that there is a distinction and there's a very important intersection that happens between race and class. And a lot of that has to do with money. And it's not just money. It's about what money can get you and what money and what luxuries monies can put you in, right? How that allows you to access positions and access spaces that make you feel comfortable that allow you to talk or express yourself and feel a lot more comfortable inside your body and your skin. They make you feel worthwhile and then make you feel valuable. Like, if I wasn't able to go to university, I don't think I'd ever be able to understand that I was queer. I don't think I'd be able to actually feel that being queer is okay. Because around my cultural community and around my family, there's a very conservative nature to how we have discussions around what it means to be gay or what it means to not be gay. And I wouldn't have had the luxury of talking and dealing with those things. And luckily, my parents could pay for my university. And I was able then to be a part of a space like that and be able to talk about those things, right? And that's very important is that when it comes to class it intersects with so many identities because if you don't have class privilege if you don't access a specific space you don't get the luxury of even talking about some of the things that might be part of your intersectionality that are a part of your identity that make you who you are and it sucks like i think it fucking sucks but I don't think that people should also necessarily hold you to account for that, right? Because what I see that happens is that when I come from middle class and I go through specific struggles that other people can relate to, they often kind of dismiss it and think that it's not the same, right? So if I get called racial racial slurs, or if I get called like 
queerphobic slurs that it's kind of considered that it's not as bad because I'm not from the same community. And it probably isn't as bad because I don't, because maybe they don't have people who they can go and confide in, right? But that's not a thing that's exclusive to my race. That's a thing that has to do with things that I can access because of class. Because if I'm called horrible things because of my race or because of who I am, it still hurts. It hurts. It sucks. But being able to distract myself, being able to go and talk to friends, being able to just do things, that, like talk on a podcast about it, does make it easier. And some people don't have the luxury of that, right? So maybe I might have it easier. But it doesn't mean I don't go through those things. At the same time, sometimes I'm also disregarded as being good enough when it comes to trying to be a part of, like, the black elite or being part of the richer, like, upper class, like, social statuses, right? Where I'm considered that I'm not meaningful or that I don't, I'm not able to participate in that space because I don't have enough money to be able to engage in that space because I don't have enough money to be able to be a part of that space where I might be gay, but I'm not rich and gay, or I might be black, but I'm not rich and black. So I don't get to live an extravagant lifestyle where I drive fancy cars, where I live, where I go to fancy places. And all I like to do is sit at home and have a board game night with my friends. And that also sucks. Because sometimes people think that class relates you to other people when you can find relations on any identity marker and you can find any common ground based on your identity marker. And that's what I'm trying to achieve through this podcast. What I want to find out and what I want to learn and what I want to talk about. So I want to find out how my intersectionality works in society, how it manifests, what it does, what it says about me, and how I am made by a lot of who I am, and whether I choose those things and whether I don't choose those things, right? And I think that this podcast is going to be a cool way for not just me to, like, learn about this, but maybe for me to be able to, like, learn about other people and learn about you, And being able to then also maybe give someone some kind of like understanding as to who they are or how they can find out about themselves or maybe even why they think the way that they do. So thanks again for tuning in to the intersection. I'm going to try to upload every week, at least once a week, maybe more, but at least once a week. And I'm going to try to talk about different issues and talk about like things like money or talk about things like family or talk about things like relationships, talk about things about like love or breakups. I just want to talk about as many things as possible and be able to like talk about how I deal with a lot of those things and how I'm like and how who I am and my identity and how that works in those spaces or how that works with those issues or those topics. So thanks again for tuning in to The Intersection. Check you next week. Maybe we'll find out what your intersection is. Cool. Bye.